Ladies and gentlemen, you're now listening to the Hoop Kings podcast presented by a work of art media. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, it's your man, Coach Flight, and this is the Hoop Kings Podcast. I'm blessed to be back in the booth once again with the local legend, my brother from another, the medieval one, King Art. It is I and I am him. This is the medieval King Art, and thank you so much for joining us again on another great episode of the Hoop Kings Podcast, where we represent basketball culture and just to give you a brief breakdown of what the show is going to be about today of course we're going to hit on the nba conference finals championship matchups between the boston celtics and the miami heat and then the denver nuggets and the los angeles lakers we're also going to touch base on the draft lottery that just passed on thursday san, san antonio spurs uh, winning the golden goose in this case with victor women yama I'm from France, and then we're also going to touch a little bit on the coaching vacancies in the NBA. Uh, what is maybe the biggest job that's available uh, for coaches? Is it the Phoenix job? Is it the Milwaukee job? Then also we're going to talk about free agency. There's some key free agents uh, that are leading the pack this year. We may dive into some upcoming years as well in 2024 and 2025. And lastly, but not least, we don't just talk about the men here. We talk about the women as well. And we we'll represent basketball culture. Now also includes the women's game and the WNBA. Uh, their season just kicked off yesterday on May 19th. This is year 27 for them. I remember watching Cynthia Cooper and Lisa Leslie in that commercial Ooh. back in the day, raising the roof. So I always going. <laughs> so we want to touch base all across the board in this basketball culture. Then we're going to lead off with the playoffs. We're going to start what's fresh in our minds right now, which is last night's game and game two. The eighth seed, Miami Heat, taking another W in the Boston Garden. Jimmy Butler is playing out of his mind. Coach Fly, give me your thoughts, man. Man, I, we said this a couple episodes ago where we felt like the Miami Heat, in the current condition in the state that they're in as an organization, can't compete for championships even as an AFC. And I think we are getting that just in play form with Jimmy Butler and Max Struess mm-hmm. and Gabe Vincent. Duncan Robinson, Bam out of Bayou, Bam out of Bayou, Kyle yeah. Lowry, mm. like it's amazing that everybody says this team doesn't have enough talent, and to me the talent looks fine. It's just not the names we're used to seeing. Right. I told my brother last night, if you have Victor Oladipo and Tyler Hero, mm. in which I'll make this point, Tyler Hero, if they get to the finals, may make an appearance. Just keep that in mind. He's back to close to to, to playing health, but if they had these two dudes active. It might even look worse than what it is right now. That's crazy. And to me, you got a team that's really not a true eight seed. And I think circumstances and injuries got them to that eight seed throughout the regular season. But you're seeing the brilliance of Eric Spostra and Pat Riley at work in this series. And taking nothing away from Boston. And I'll kind of go from a coaching aspect here. But you see the little internal moves throughout the game between Eric Spostra and Joe Mazzula. Um, You go back to game one. Uh, Miami scored 46 points in the third quarter. Missoula didn't call a timeout. Mm. At some point, you got to, and it's more than just calling the timeout. You have to reset your team, reset what you're doing defensively, play different coverages. Last night, you didn't run a double at Jimmy Butler, which was smart because in turn, you're leaving those shooters to knock down open shots, but you at least have to try in some instance to do so. You got to at least try to 
get the ball out of Butler's hand in the half court. You can't switch everything. Boston is very switchy because they got guys that can guard multiple uh, areas, multiple positions. So they switch everything. At this point, I wouldn't want to switch everything. Yeah. If I'm on Duncan Robinson or Gabe Vincent and they're trying to give up the basketball, I'm not going to switch to allow Jimmy Butler to have maybe have an advantage when the guy switches over to his man. I'm not doing that. So you either got to stay home, get over the screens, bump them off their spot, get skinny on the pin down, whatever it may be, so Jimmy can't touch the ball and force somebody else to have a big game to beat you. And then another thing that I'm seeing too is the rebounding. Both these teams are similar sized, not really great bigs. Right. But Miami's still holding a rebounding edge in this series until Boston can go to the backboard. And Tatum did that against a bigger Philadelphia team. Mm -hmm. Why isn't he going to the boards now? He still averages seven, eight boards. But remember, in the Philly series, he had, I think in one game, had close to 20 boards. And I think he had 13, 14 in another game. They got to start dominating the backboard to take away those second chance opportunities. So I think what you're getting, going back to game three uh, on Sunday, May 21st, if Miami steals that one, it's a sweep. Now, Boston's not out the series, but they got to at least get the game by game and just making certain adjustments defensively and rebounding the basketball. Those are two premiums that have to happen, especially in the second half of the game. So if you're coach Joe Mazzula in this case and you're watching film on the way back home, excuse me, not way back home, but way to Miami, what are some of the things that at least you notice from your eyes that, of course, Coach Missoula is going to catch that they need to adjust in how you guard Jimmy Butler? It just seems like it's a Jimmy Butler train. It, every, he's the he's clearly the leader of that team. Whatever he go, basically does or says, the team is going to follow. I don't know if that's a Miami culture type of thing, but I definitely believe that if you cut off the head of the snake, which is Jimmy Butler, the West will fall. So if you're Coach Joe Mazzula and you're watching film, what are maybe one or two things to kind of stop Jimmy Butler from what he's been doing to all these teams in the playoffs? Absolutely. I think the one thing, when I see Jimmy play, he's not necessarily right-hand dominant, mm -hmm. but he loves it, especially late in games, one-on-one, ISO situation. You can't get him from going to his right. Gotcha. He always seems to get back to that point. Made a couple of shots on the baseline yesterday, got in the lane, uh, kind of going right. They overplayed him, came left. Got in the lane, scored a layup. I mean, I, and I believe that was the one that got him within two in the fourth quarter, I believe, in 96-94 or 98-96, one of the two. Yeah. But I would try to eliminate his ability to play on the right side of the floor. I believe He's yeah. on that side of the floor. Get your body involved. Get skinny. Get wide. Mm -hmm. Take his ability away from catching the ball. When he's on the left side of the floor, don't allow him to get into the lane. Keep him on that left side. Force him to shoot that one dribble pull up or maybe try to attack baseline where you can bring the help across the lane area. That's one of the main things that I would do. Secondly, if he has the ball out on the three-point line or he has the ball at about 30 feet yeah. and you're just playing back at the three-point line, forcing him to shoot the, shoot the basketball, you're not disrupting his rhythm. And I think with playing at that three-point line, not disrupting his rhythm, when you have an NBA shooter that is competent enough to make that shot, it's going in. Yeah. And I think he's making enough of those outside shots to be a significant problem to where now he can attack you and basically do whatever he wants to do. Those would be my two biggest factors. 
If he's going to play at 30 feet, guard him at 30 feet. He's dangerous from wherever. And then two, you got to bring better bringing the help. At this point, I would rather give up the three from Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, Duncan Robinson. So like Caleb Martin had a good game from and, three as well. And Caleb Martin, I believe he had, yeah. what, 15, 16 points? He had uh, 25 points. 25 points. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, I shorted him. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, He had a great game there. Mm-hmm. But I would rather have one of those guys beat me. Now, obviously, going back to Miami, that's a problem because they're comfortable. Absolutely. But I would rather have one of those guys beat me, especially late in the games. Yeah. Force them to make shots and get the ball out of Jimmy's hands. And one thing that if you're Boston from another thing on the film you can't do, you're turning the ball over too much in crucial times. Mm-hmm. And yeah. with the team switching, you have to be smart enough to attack their switch. One thing that I would love to see Boston do offensively is create movement for Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum and play them maybe not so high to where it's easy now to guard you and to set your D, but maybe move them from block to block, corner to corner, lane line, lane line, bring them off pin downs, get some movement involved, which will then force Miami not to be so switchy. Yeah. And now you're fighting over screens. And if they do decide to switch it, you can get the matchup maybe that you want. That's some of the things that I see that maybe Joe Mazzulli could do. They're not out of it, but it's looking very dire because you don't want to give a team that's hot two games at your building, and now you're going back to their place where their role players are even more comfortable. Yeah. That's, that's no, yeah. this This could be over Tuesday night if they don't get it together. When we come back in the studio, it could be – we could be talking Miami swept them. I don't perceive that to happen, but I think they're going to the finals. It's just and how many games is this going to take because right now – Boston has no answer for what Miami is doing. I completely agree, man. I'm just looking kind of at the box score um, as you were speaking, man. And, you know, Jalen Brown didn't have one of his best games. They're going 7 of 23 from the field, 1 for 7 from 3. Um, I look at the plus minus as well. It was a minus 24 when he was on the court. So, you know, I can't can't guarantee that all All-Stars, all NBA players will have great games. You know, Jason Tatum, so of course, did his thing. Giving him 34 points, but I'm seeing Al Horford only dropped in two points. Michael Smart only gave you seven points. Grant Williams, he is what he is. He's going to hit those threes. But he should not have gotten Jimmy Butler's face because that's what all Butler needed to get going, man. So definitely make sure you, you punch high enough to hit God, bro, because – you know what I mean? Because Jim Bo- Jimmy Butler's different. I'm looking at Bam out of Bayou. 17 big rebounds. He was cleaning up the glass like Mr. Clean doing this thing. But uh, long story short, bro, like I was telling you off wax, Stephen A was like, I'm going to Miami when it comes to the finals, Welcome bro. To Miami. Because of the fact that, like you said, they're not a true eight seed. We can tell. Even Jimmy Butler said, like, sometimes during the regular season, I take my foot off the gas, I rest, and I kind of save myself for the playoffs. He's literally playoff Jimmy at this moment man just watching him in the bubble in 2020 i'm like okay jimmy butler has that mama mentality like you you just see it when somebody has it you see it and he's willing to carry a team to beat the champions by himself it's kind of like an ai moment in 2001 the lakers were i believe uh 13 and no excuse me 11 and 0 going into the finals and AI walking into the Staples Center and getting that dub. That's how I feel about Jimmy Butler going to the Boston Garden and getting two games, not just one, but getting two. So they're going back home with house money. Role players play amazing, play a lot much better on their home court. 
I don't know if Boston's role players can actually play as well as Miami's did at the Boston Garden as they will at American Airlines Arena. So shout out to Eric Spolstra. Shout out to Pat Riley. Shout out to Alonzo Mourning. You're really getting these guys together for the big moment. So that is the Eastern Conference Finals wrap-up. We're going to go ahead and get on the plane and fly out to the West Coast, man, and go to the Rocky Mountains of Denver. Game one or game two, man, where do you want to start, man, in terms of the impact of who I thought should be the three-time MVP and Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray going crazy in the fourth quarter in game two? Let's start game one. Okay, starting game one, man. Yeah, I say, I say let's start game one and... I think the biggest takeaway from, from that specific game wasn't, wasn't even necessarily the second half comeback, wasn't the, the fouls that begin to pile up for Denver in the second half, but when you give a team such a significant advantage on the backboard once again, oh my gosh. It, it just damages anything you want to do. I think at this point I have the stats pulled up, and I know you're looking at them right now. I want to mm-hmm. say that there's almost a... Close to a 15, 20 rebound difference in the series per game. And right now, that, that can't happen at this juncture of the season. Same thing with Boston. It can't happen. You can't give a team second chance opportunities or teams to limit you from one shot, limit you to one shot, and expect to do anything of significance. I think, too, another thing is the Lakers aren't necessarily shooting the three ball well. And they're not a great three-point shooting team. Right. But they have to do enough to get past this hump. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they ran into a buzzsaw in game one. They did their best to come back. Love the adjustment with Rui Hachimura. Yeah. Game two, Dallas figured that out. Mm-hmm. And I think now what you're seeing is the depth and the the support of a quality team like Denver coming to the forefront and not being affected by anything that the Lakers may do to them defensively or in the game itself. One thing that I also say is this. Yeah. LA needs to, to to fasten the pace. They need to play with more pace. Okay. Even more pace. Denver wants to walk it up. Now, Denver's a little younger than you in certain spots, but Denver still wants to play at a slow and controlled game. Right. If you're the Lakers, you got to limit them to one shot, get out of transition, and Schroeder and D'Angelo and Reeves, mm-hmm. Bonnie Walker, Beasley, they have to begin to flourish now in the open floor and not rely so heavily on LeBron to make a play in the open floor. So game two was a res- kind of result of that. You let Jamal Murray get hot. He scored 23 mm. of their 37, points, 37 in the points in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I believe the Lakers had 24 points in the fourth quarter in game two just by themselves. So you can't let a guy get that hot. Stop switching. Stop that, that's, switching. That's the way of the league, man. I know it is, but Davis is getting burned. Bron's getting burned. He got him in the fourth quarter. I would feel much better if you fought over the screen, got in his hip and forced a bad shot, than switching and let them load up from the three. Yeah. Davis can't guard him off the bounce. LeBron can't guard him off the bounce. So to me, instead of switching everything, league, figure out ways to guard each individual player properly. That's what scouting reports are for. If you want to switch on uh, KCP because he's not a threat to drive the basketball, do it. You want to switch on Christian Brown because he's not a threat to drive the basketball, do it. But Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, stop switching. You can't do that. So I think the Lakers aren't out of it. I think they should win game three. Uh, But how is that going to be any differently from game two? It's yet to be seen if they don't do those 
things I mentioned and correct those things. So looking at the spreads of the first two games, they were six points. I believe six and a half for first for the game one. Nuggets won by six. Six game spread, game two. Nuggets won by five. The Lakers have a six point, you know, spread tonight. So let's see if that's going to remain consistent in regards um, to the betting odds. But uh, just in game one, man, Jokic just went absolutely crazy. Um, we know what his numbers were. Averaging a triple-double this series. His 13th triple-double of his playoff career, which is which is ridiculous, to be honest with you. Like, he's literally putting up NBA 2K numbers in real life against grown NBA all-star caliber players. He's able to do this with ease. And that's what makes me nervous. Um, also makes me nervous even more, even though Denver is the number one seed in the in the conference, it seems like there's no pressure on them. Because it seems like all the pressure's on the Lakers, all can LeBron and AD, can they get to another championship? And no one's really talking about the Nuggets. When they're considerably the best team in the NBA, they have zero pressure playing with house money, they have a two-time, should be three-time MVP on their team. Jamal Murray, <sighs> the fact that he missed 12 of his first 17 shots, and then he just goes crazy. The Nuggets hit seven threes in the fourth quarter. They go on a 15-1 run, and it seems like it was just too much of a blitz for the Lakers to recover from. Shout out to Austin Rees. He's, big shout out. Bro, he has no fear when it comes to the big moment. For LeBron to sidebar with LeBron, I think he's... I'm not saying he's the Wash King, like he put the hashtag on, but it's like I feel that at his age now, I really wish we had LeBron in like year 12, year 13. That would have been Amen, absolutely amazing. I appreciate Bron for coming to LA 2020 chip. It's definitely more, there's no asterisk on that no more. The, the teams are in the bubble or in the conference championship right now, so it was real. But just to see LeBron kind of on his last legs in the fourth quarter, because I believe that the statistic is in the fourth quarter, he's 0% from three throughout the whole playoffs. That's all legs. That's all stamina. That's all fatigue. You can't get to the rim. So everybody's saying, oh, he just, just drives to the rim. If y'all played some wreck, some run, and you're absolutely tired, it's hard to get to the rim. When you're absolutely tired, hitting that shooting the three ball is the easiest thing to do, but he's fatigued. Anthony Davis. I have my rant about Troy Brown. Street clothes. I have my rant about Troy Brown getting Lonnie, getting Lonnie Walker in the game, and it worked. Facts. So, with right now, Anthony Davis. Master Dallas Hart. I know you're going to come through game three because this is your own game. You had your off game, and your own game was game three. Coach Flight and I talked about in about two years when basically LeBron's probably going to retire. I asked him, is Anthony Davis still going to be the, still be on the team? Coach Flight said, hell no. Hell to the night, <laughs> Because I can't have inconsistency in the conference finals. I can give you a game in January the 4th, but you didn't come through. But with all the license on Anthony Davis, ain't the bubble. There's fans here. What are you going to do, man? You clearly see the whole world sees LeBron ain't got it like he used to. Y'all depended on Austin Reeves, an undrafted, restricted free agent, to carry you to the promised land. And he's doing his best. But Anthony Davis, you have 40 against Jokic. He is killing you. Cooking at 450. He is killing you right now. 
But the thing is, they have no rim protection. Rui Hachimura said in the halftime interview, I'm getting to the basket whenever I want. I watched film. I did my scouting report. I'm going to the rim. He went seven for seven from the field. That's Hachimura. You're Anthony Davis, NBA top 75 player of all time. Please act like it. Your team needs you to pull through, play defensively. I need you to be the best player on defense and be the best player on offense. This is what makes you a legend. Say that word again. This bro. is what makes you a legend in these moments. Thank You're you. the only game on TV tonight. Please step up and do your thing, bro. But I'm going to give credit to Denver. They have a great depth in their lineup. Caldwell Pope gave you a great 21 points. In game one, if I'm L.A., I'll leave Aaron Gordon open for those threes. He's not hitting them. Darvin Ham, you got to make some adjustments, my friend. Coach Fly says you need to run. You got to run, you got to run. All right? D'Angelo Russell, get your act together now. What's up, man? You a free agent, too. You want to stay in L.A. or you want to go? You want to go home? You want to go to jail you want to go home? Shout out to Denzel Washington, man. But I'm serious. One, two, three, kick go. Hey, dog. If they lose game three, get your tickets ready. Get your flops. Get your swimming shorts. Get your main one or your second or your third one on the hey, flight. Don't forget the sunscreen. Hey, bro. If you're looking for a girl, get her flew out to Cancun. You'll have a good time. But if y'all don't want to go to Cancun, bro, get y'all's act together. Get y'all's minds right. The season is on the line tonight. So I'll see y'all at 830. I'll finish with number one. <laughs> this is what we do in the Hoop Keys podcast, Man. folks. We tell it to you like it is Man. as we represent this basketball culture. Man. I, I, listen, I, I'll, I'll end with this. I'll just start, I just studied the, 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 the shot report, uh, the shot graph there from both games. What it tells me is this. The Lakers aren't getting a lot of the shots that they want. They're missing in areas they typically make. Mm-hmm. Dallas is getting shots in the lane or at the three-point line. So if the Lakers can cause Jokic to have some mid-range shots out there, they can force Murray into those one-dribble pull-ups, force Michael Jordan into one-dribble pull-ups, put the ball on the floor, make it uncomfortable. That's another way to win. But right now, Denver's shooting more efficiently, and they're getting shots where they want. So... Lakers got to step it up, man. Game three tonight, baby. For sure. So that is our NBA Conference Finals recap and review. Hopefully, we'll come back in the booth here next week. We'll have a different story. I'm a little bit more happy about my purple and gold. But let's go ahead and transition to the, the new stars of the NBA in 2023. Of course, you know who the number one pick is going to be. We have all of our eyes locked on the Jaff Lottery on Thursday. The San Antonio Spurs. They look out again. I'm going to say that it is what it is, man. Y'all got Duncan, uh, not Duncan, Tim Duncan, David Robinson. Now you got Victor, man. He's coming to the uh, Lone Star State. So, uh, Coach Flight, uh, let's talk about, you know, the impact of Victor uh, joining a team coached by uh, Coach Popovich and, of course, the remaining, you know, top five or top ten picks uh, that are going to be drafting and some of those key guys they're going to be looking at. First, first things first, I, I want to continue to discuss a debate that we've been hearing all week is Wimbayama the best prospect ever 
Hell no. I don't think so either, man. Not enough eyes on him. Everybody knew who LeBron was. Not only that, LeBron got famous before social media. Talk about it. ESPN put up his game on a prime television night. It was a Thursday night. Eight o'clock. Oh, kill. Dominated. Oh, kill. Yeah. Let's calm down with the young fella, man. And I think we do this in this generation of sports fans, of basketball fans, because we want to always tout, well, who's the next best thing? Talk about it, please. Luka Doncic was the great white hype, and he still is the great white hype. And that's all it is. Yep, yep. Let's Victor chill. But getting to Victor and his impact on the San Antonio Spurs, Mm -hmm. I think it'll be a, a good fit for him. Number one, there's familiarity there with Tony Parker, Boris Dial being a fellow Frenchman. Great point. Uh, to help mentor and uh, provide him on some things on and off the court that San Antonio may provide. And Tim Duncan's still on the staff, correct? I believe so. Okay. If not, he's always in the picture. Yeah. And I know that Manu Ginobili is a special assistant to Pop as well. So, I mean, you have a hell of an international influence there. And I think... And you mentioned the great Tim Duncan. I wouldn't be surprised to see Tim and uh, Victor's uh, in his ear from time to time just to give him some moral support. I think Victor, honestly, will be a good good to great player. I think he's a kid that will live up to the hype. Will it be LeBron? We don't know. Probably not. There's only one LeBron. But I think the kid is good enough to change the direction of this franchise. This is a proud franchise, a franchise that has gone back now for the last 30-plus years as a, well, 20, 25, 26 of the last 30-some years as a significant winner. Uh, had the had the longest playoff streak, I believe, in sports history. Mm-hmm. I think it went to 18, 19 in a row, something like that. Crazy, man. Uh, so, proud, proud franchise. Pop is still there. I think now what we're looking for from Pop, how do you help groom this young man into this? And who's, his, who's Pop's replacement? Because Pop is <sighs> mid-70s. Victor is young. You don't want Pop to hurt this kid. Yep, yep. Similar to his relationship like Kawhi. Mm-hmm. There is some things to work with on the team. You got to change the roster, obviously. But I like Malachi Branham as a piece to pair with him as a young two guard. But you're probably moving off of him because of his value. He's got some good value. The guy I think they're going to keep, the two guys I think they're going to keep with him, Keldon Johnson, who's their best player, Zach Collins, who was drafted by Portland, who can space the floor. You need an interior big. They got to go get a veteran interior big to pair with this kid this year to give him some more support because he is going to get banged up on the inside against some of these elite posts in the league. And the game is transitioning back to where the big man is having a significant impact or it is back to that point. It has been for a couple of years now. You got to support this kid on the block, at least right now. Mm-hmm. And he's he's not quick enough necessarily to play the three, even though he can have some great impact. And, and you can use him in different mismatches, he he still has to learn the NBA game. So yeah. uh, I'll let you get – I know the focus on win by Yana. We'll get to Scoot and Brandon Miller and those guys here. But just give me kind of what your insight is on Victor and kind of what you see for San Antonio, fam. I have a friend of mine. Uh, we grew up together um, down the street from each other. Uh, we played basketball together, elementary school, middle school, high school. Uh, my, fr- my friend Mo Benzagalame is currently coaching uh, Silver Spring uh, School down in Dallas, Texas. 
Um, he's a former um, professional basketball player, played over in Algeria, played for the Algeria national team. And uh, he came over to my crib, I think it might have been two or three years ago. It might have been three years ago. I think it was right, before, right during COVID, I think. And he told me then, he said, bro, there's this kid in France. His name is Victor, Victor something. Bro, he's like 7'3", and he can do everything. I'm like, you lying, bro. Is he like a KD? He's like, bro, he's taller than KD. He can shoot, dunk, all of that. This is this is 2020. Yeah. So my friend Mo, he always has his ears to the streets when it comes to foreign players. And he was talking about him back then. So I kind of already had an inside scoop in regards to Victor and watching him play. And when I saw the highlight of him shooting a wing three, catching it and dunking it at the same time, I'm like, okay, this is different. I've mentioned on this podcast before that maybe in 10, 12 years, the league is going to be full of KDs. When you see when Michael Jordan was playing, who's going to be the next Jordan? When it can't, LeBron is an alien. I don't think there's anybody else going to be like him no, because no, of his physical stature. Never. When it came to big men, it was Hakeem, it was Shaq, it was Patrick, it was David Robinson, it was Alonzo. Who's going to be the next big guy? And now, you know, Dirk Nowitzki, I believe he became the new age big man. Then here comes KD, you know, a poor man's dirt with the Bam out of Bayou, the mid range, he can do the fall away as well. When we see guys like Chuck Holmgren in college shooting the tray ball, see Bowl Bowl, you see Victor Wimanyama, there's going to be more guys like this. It's like, okay, I don't want to play. These kids are bold to tell their coaches, I don't want to play big man. I don't want to be on the block no more. I don't want to have my back to the basket. I want to do the drills with the guards. I want to do, I want to do pit drills. I want to do all this stuff. I want to get my handles right. Well, he was kids. We ain't had no option. It was like, nigga, get your ass with the big man. Get on the block. Go over there on that half side of the court. Do the box out drills. Work on your hook shot. Do the uh, the mic and drill. We're doing all of that. Reverse mics and everything. We're, we're doing that. Mm. You're not over here shooting threes. You're not coming off of screens. You're not doing flares. You're not doing none of that because you're six foot in the, in the uh, eighth grade. So get on the block. You know what I mean? So you can say the same thing with AD. He just had a growth spurt, but he has guard skills. Absolutely. And I really believe with Victor, his height is ridiculous. We get that. But in terms of the seven-footers having the able to take it off the rim, go down the court, set up the offense. Imagine a, somebody setting a screen for a seven-foot-five guy. And that's there's no switch. Like, you can switch whoever you want. They're not going to be able to guard him. But my only thing is, like Shannon Sharp says, is about the weight thing. It's the opposite with Zion Williamson. I'm sorry, he have to lose weight. But Victor, they said, like, just for him to fill out, he's 7'5". He's got at least, at least 240. Oh, at least 240. Not you know what I'm saying? 240, 250 at his size so he can take the pounding paws of the NBA. We're talking about all the big men that were 7'5 or taller. You got your Yao Mings, you know, Greg Odins. You got your Sam Bowie's. Uh, who else? Uh, Bill Walton's uh, Big Z from the Cleveland. There's seven with lower body injuries. So hopefully he has a great team around him. Hope he has, you know, great trainers, you know, great sports fitness guys, a great chef that can put healthy weight on him because it's going to be exciting to see him play this year 
I'm also excited to see Chuck Holmgren come back healthy as well because he's going to a good OKC team. So that's what I kind of think about Victor and his impact with San Antonio. I believe because of his popularity that he's going to have when he first walks into the league, he's probably going to be voted all-star just off of the fans' project. Fans' perspective, yeah, I, I think so because Yao Ming was the same way as an international star, and those guys are going to vote for you heavy. So, what do you think about that in terms of his? Before we get to Sue Henderson, the other guys, uh, Victor's impact his first year, and if the international popularity will make him an immediate all star. All star, I'm not sure. There was a report that came out, caught it this morning. I actually, woke up to it this morning about how they're thinking about going back to an East West format. Okay. Um, so that may take away okay. his ability to get into the first year. I didn't know about that. Every day, every year after that, though, it's a lock. I mean, because okay. I think the kid will be, I think he'll be a, a pretty special player. Like I said, I don't, Le- LeBron and Le- that's just, come on, man. Like, let's leave that yeah. alone. Yeah. But I, I agree with everything you said, man. I think with his international impact, will only help the game of basketball. And I'll say this, San Antonio is the right place because, number one, you got the pull of a nation. France's favorite team is San Antonio. Yep. Um, you, you, you got the... One thing that I do appreciate about this kid, and I do appreciate where he coming, he's coming from, he's coming from playing in a really good La Liga league over there. And I think, too, who he has surrounding him as far as advisors, Tony Parker and Boris Diaz, some of those French guys, Mikel Peters is another French guy that's over there and, and that can be in his ear. So the, the impact internationally is just a is just a, a wonderful, wonderful um, support to this kid. Mm-hmm. And I think that's only going to show in his game, man. All right, my brother. So for those who have not heard of Scoop Henderson, and he basically he would have been a number one pick if Victor wasn't born. <laughs> this, just, this dude is Ray Lewis playing basketball. Man. Yeah, so just give our listeners a brief breakdown about Scoot and if Charlotte should maybe trade that pick because they already have a guy at the point guard position. Scoot Henderson is a 6-2 point guard that's built like a linebacker. I, I just joked to say he's Ray Lewis playing basketball. This dude has a hell of a body for a 19-year-old. It is... It is completely crazy, and I don't even think his body's towards maturation, but he's so strong, plays low to the ground, super explosive. Uh, kind of reminds me from a game standpoint of Baron Davis. If Baron Davis was in mass shape coming out of, out of UCLA, this is what it would look like. He reminds me of that. It's a little bit more explosion. Can shoot the basketball. Is a point guard's point guard, but can also play off the ball too. So I think you're getting a a combination, a throwback kind of guard there that can dominate the basketball and and really make really make your team just better. Mm-hmm. Like the kid is just he's probably the best basketball player in this draft. I got you. If he was six eight six nine, I think we would have a discussion about him being the consensus number one pick over Victor Winbayama. Yeah. Over Bayama, excuse me. So I think Scoot, Scoot is a guy who will be a difference maker in the league. I think with Charlotte at the number two pick, they're sort of in a quandary along with Portland at three. You really don't need the pick because he's not going to come in and change the direction of your franchise. Yeah. Because you got LaMelo Ball already there. They could play together, 
and Scooby more of the scoring option of the two. You also got Terry Rozier as well, which I think Rozier and Ball is a great backcourt to have. But now you pair him with LaMelo, not a bad look, but I think Scoot needs to have the ball in his hand 100% of the time and be the guy. Yeah. So to me, does that lend Charlotte's interest into Brandon Miller a long wing, depending on what happens with um, oh, uh, the kid Bridges out of uh, Michigan State? Yeah. Depending on his legal situation. So do you go off the course there, get a big wing? Now you got a big wing who can score, who can defend. Probably a more traditional 3 and D. Sort of reminds me of that Tobias Harris, Rory type style of player. Maybe Charlotte can do well there and push Scoot to Portland if Portland's looking to get off day. We yeah. don't know. Mm. Uh, but in terms of what's going on in Charlotte, Charlotte needs to make moves in free agency. Not acquire more young players. And that's going to fall on MJ to work this cap the way it's supposed to be worked. Yeah. LaMelo's got to get paid here, man. Or LaMelo's gone. Absolutely. So, and I'll tell you where LaMelo going to go. Talk about it. He going to work purple and go. But we'll come to that later. But I think with Scoot, you can do well with Scoot. It's not going to change you. And I think when you got the number two pick, that's still a franchise-changing player. Yeah. And I think Charlotte Charlotte can't mess it up. And I'll even go down to Portland and, and let, let you have it. Portland's looking to shop the pick and maybe bring back some acquired assets. i tell you who they need to shop it to. Uh, there's another guy on the East Coast named Brad Bill, very similar to Blue Dame on the West Coast. Yeah. Go get your Brad Bill. Trade that pick to Washington. Get back Brad Bill and one of those other veterans. Bring him back in. Now you got some studs that can go toe-to-toe in the Western Conference. So Portland's got some things that they can work on too but yeah. Charlotte really doesn't need but Scoot's really a guy that's a difference maker and uh, I, I really enjoy him I think he's the best basketball player in the draft alright Coach Flight I just want to give a a rundown of the lottery order that's coming up here next month we already mentioned the Spurs and the Hornets at one and two and Coach Flight mentioned Portland at number three you have the Houston Rockets at four Detroit Pistons at five Orlando Magic six Pacers at 7, Wizards at 8, Utah Jazz at 9, Dallas Mavericks at 10, Orlando Magic again at pick 11. Uh, that was a trade for Vucevic uh, from Chicago. And then you have Oklahoma City Thunder at pick 12. That's going to be real key for them to join their good roster, I believe. Uh, Toronto Raptors at 13 and the Pelicans at 14. So definitely want to tap in with the lottery next month. And Coach White is to close us out in the draft lottery. Man, just a couple things that sticks out, and we'll we'll attack it here uh, next month before the before the draft in mass. A couple things stick out: Orlando six and eleven. I can see them coming off of one of those picks. Yeah, me too. To bring in a veteran. Yeah. Because I think you you've already got enough pieces there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I Ricky, think Ricky of the Year is there. Yeah, Paolo Bancaro, yeah. Jalen Suggs is there. Um, Cole um, Cole Anthony. Cole Anthony is there as well. Yeah. So you you got a nice little core to work with. You're getting nothing at that sixth pick. Uh, around the sixth pick, you're looking at a couple of brothers that play for Overtime Elite. The Thompson brothers were really good. Cam Whitmore the Villanova. But nobody game-changing. Right. So now it's time to get off of the young guys and get some veterans so I can see them working there. And then I, another two teams I see that can make the playoffs in the West next year. Uh, uh, OKC at 12. I can see them coming off that. Maybe Absolutely. moving back. Because they already got enough young pieces. You're just waiting on Chet to come back. Yep. And now you're exploding. And then Utah at nine. They don't really need another young player in Utah. Utah was in the playoff hunt, man. You know what I'm saying? They're yeah. right there. So yeah. those teams, 
you don't need it. But if I'm that Blazers, if I'm Houston, if I'm Portland and Washington, mm-hmm. you have to set yourself up for something so dramatic. Somebody's got to come off somebody. Everybody's helping everybody. Right, so I'm playing around, man. We know what y'all want to do. Just like, do it. You can pair Dame and Brad Bill. I, I want that this year. Very similar to 2007, 2008, when you had um, you had Paul Pierce and Ray Allen and you got KG. You, so you're telling me at the eight pick, Washington needs the eight pick? No. Either you're starting over or you got to let Bill go. Yeah. But I tell you this much, you can go to the three and say, hey, We'll package Brad Bill. Can we get your third pick? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Portland do that in a heartbeat. Maybe take the eighth pick or maybe find a third team to get up in there that may need that and trade on down. Those teams have to begin to leverage because I think what you're seeing, and and, and I'll be short here, what you're Mm -hmm. seeing is this. There's a separation of elite front offices that are happening around the NBA. And you're seeing it in football, but football is built to where everybody's sort of even mm-hmm. and then there's great even the great a lot of mediocrity in the middle NBA this is getting out of hand because you're the have or the have nots and I think what you're seeing is these teams that are in the lottery minus OKC and Utah they're the have nots and so are you going to stay and remain a have not or are you going to make a move to get into the elites and and I think that if you're Portland and you're Washington and I'm speaking once again to Dame and Brad Bill. Yeah. If you come together or you make something shake to get those guys into winning situations because you're wasting prime talent. Completely agree with the coach flight, man. So that is our wonderful breakdown. That was a really good segment of the draft lottery. We're going to transition and talk about some of the coaching vacancies currently in the NBA. And just looking at a list here of those that were available, uh, the Houston Rockets job, we know that former coach uh, Ime Doka of the Boston Celtics uh, was hired by the Houston Rockets to take on that job. But currently, the vacancies that are in the NBA, uh, we have the head coaching spot with the Detroit Pistons. That seems to be a carousel every year. They're always looking for a new coach. Uh, of course, at the Milwaukee Bucks, they're looking for a new head coach there. The Philadelphia 76 Philadelphia 76ers then Doc Rivers go after losing another 3-2 lead uh, so that spot is available uh, one that's surprising still to me Monty Williams I'm being let go by the Phoenix Suns that job is available and then the last one here the Toronto Raptors the 2019 NBA champions uh, that position is open as well and that seems to have the most candidates uh, when it comes to jobs so coach flight with those teams once again uh, Toronto Raptors Phoenix Suns Philadelphia 76ers, Milwaukee Bucks, and the Detroit Pistons. Uh, for the coaches that are currently available, I believe you know who those coaches are, uh, knowing your you know expertise. Uh, which one of those coaching jobs is the best job available at this time? Oh, Phoenix. Okay. Um, I think with Phoenix, there's just... With the new owner in place, you have... He's looking to put a stamp on it. He seems like a very active owner, an owner that's really engaged. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is his time to put a stamp on that and say, hey, this is my guy. I think there's one guy for that job that would fit well with that core and get them and transcend them into a champion. That's Nick Nurse. I think Nick Nurse will fit seamlessly into that team. Okay. Uh, of the available guys, <laughs> excuse me, of the available guys that are out there. I think he's the one if you're if you're Phoenix, I have to be looking at him 
more than anybody else. I, obviously, I've seen a list where, and I actually got one put up here, and I'm seeing it again. Ty Lue, you're not making a trade. Clippers aren't letting him go. Right. So he's on a short list of very few guys. Nick Nurse, if I'm Phoenix, clear him out the way first. Get him locked in first. And I think that's guys that Durant and Booker will respect coming in. And I think Chris Paul, if you happen to bring him back, I'm not surprised if they ship him due to his contract. But that's a guy that I think that can work well and get that core. Because they're, they're close. They're, if Chris Paul is healthy or if they don't make the trade for KD, they're probably playing against the Lakers in the conference finals if the same format exists and they play the Nuggets. Michael Bridges and, and Cam Johnson, they, they, they beat Denver in that scenario. Yeah. Um, so that's the one team. The other, the other interesting one is, uh, and I'll go, I'll leave, I'll leave the most interesting one to you there, what's going on in Philly, but I look at um, Milwaukee. Milwaukee is a champion. They're still the same team. They just had a bad um, a bad run there in the playoffs. But I think a guy that would work well for them would either be a young coach, look for Chris, Chris Quinn, Columbus, Ohio native that out of Miami. Off, yes, sir. Um, he's one. Another guy that I think that could work really well, Monty Williams. Monty Williams will go there, provide some stability to that job, and maybe provide a different voice. Because they're, they're not really missing anything. Giannis doesn't get hurt in game one. We may not be watching Miami now. It may it may be maybe Milwaukee. We don't know. Yeah. Um, I think the inconsistencies with Middleton's injury, they gotta get a little better on the wing. Had a conversation with another coach of mine, and they gotta get a little better. Love to see them get off Grayson, Pat Connaughton, bring in an elite two, or maybe not an elite two, but an elite two who can defend. Yeah. Or who's who's who has a base to defend and can knock down shots, or who's aggressive and can score. Maybe pick up a Jordan Clarkson. I believe he's a free agent out there. Maybe pick a guy like that up yep. and come in and light it up for you with Drew Holiday. So those two situations are teams that are still championship contenders. Just minor tweaks. Don't got to kill the room. But I think Nurse to Phoenix has to be the one that highlights kind of where we're going with the coaching search. Absolutely agree, man. I love to see, uh, like you said, Chris Quinn up there, man. I played against him in high school. At that moment... Um, this is 2002 So I didn't really Of course I knew who LeBron James was I just haven't seen him in person yet I saw him in person the following year Against Brookhaven But being on the court With Chris Quinn He was the greatest basketball player I had seen I was, I was only 14 years old Give me a break But in high school He was doing what Steph Curry was doing Chris Quinn was shooting from 30 In high school And hitting everything And I know he did play for Miami for a few years and he's been on that assistant job for a long time. So I'm glad to finally see that he's getting an opportunity. So shout out to him. But when it comes to uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, as you mentioned, Coach Flight, um, as I'm looking at the current um, people that are going to interview. I see uh, Coach Budenholzer. I see Sam Cassell. Um, I've seen clips of Sam. I've seen him in person. I'm going to go watch him play in New Orleans. Uh, bro, he's, he's really a player's coach. He's really tuned in with the players i saw him working out with james and working out with joel Embiid, and just kind of being he gives them the kick in the ass that they need i really don't see that from doc from what i've seen in person also on video but sam can sell he's a championship point guard he's been there oh he's gonna talk that talk you know what i'm saying yeah, so i would love to see him yeah. i love to see them higher within in regards to that job but i'll see this was a good point that Stephen a made about this particular coach and he'll let him know he said okay this will let me know that James Harden got Doc Rivers fired 
if Mike D'Antoni becomes the coach of the Sixers? Oh, I think it's a matter of time. I, I don't think there's anybody else out there. I, I really believe that's going to be it. Mike D'Antoni might be the luckiest guy, luckiest coach I've ever seen when it comes to coaches that are getting jobs. He had he did one good job in Phoenix. When he came to L.A., when they had Dwight Howard and Gasol and Kobe and Nash, it was just awful, and I hated that. He just continues to get jobs. I also see that Frank Vogel is available as well, Monty Williams and Nick Nurse. I do believe Nick Nurse to Phoenix um, is the best gig, but for Sixers, just hire within, get Sam Cassell. If you get Dan and Tony, I kind of see what kind of time you guys are on, and I don't like that. And then one thing I want to bring up to you, Coach Flight, before we move on to the next segment, comes to the Toronto Raptors job. Um, it seems they have a it's very diverse in terms of the interviewees. Um, two of them that stands out the most, uh, Becky Hammond, uh, the current coach uh, with the Las Vegas Aces in the mm-hmm. WNBA. Mm-hmm. Then you have former NBA and current ESPN analyst J.J. Redick. It's kind of pulling Steve Nash in a way. Yeah. So I don't know if this is a privilege thing or not, but I know J.J. Reddick knows his ball. And I listen to his podcast, Old Man the Three. Great podcast. Very good podcast. So when it comes to the Raptors, I know we have the same list pulled up here, Coach Flight, yeah. with the Toronto Raptors, former championship team on the cusp making the play in this year. Uh, Loose Kawhi Leonard, still have a great player, Fran Van Vliet, but he's a free agent this year. So give me your jo- uh, your thoughts about the, t- the Raptors' uh, job. Uh, speak to Speaking to the diversity of the candidates, I love it. Yeah. Be- Becky Hammond will be an NBA head coach sooner than later. So sooner rather than later. Not sure if it's going to be here in Toronto, but she's definitely a significant brilliant mind. Yeah. Uh, a, certainly a brilliant mind, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, JJ is good. I think it tests the waters of, of uh, his acumen and, and, and gives him the ability to express what he knows, and he's very in tune to today's player. Mm-hmm. I think the best candidate is Kenny Atkinson, uh, Golden yeah. State assistant. Who's the head of assistant list. now. Yeah. Um, just by what he did up in uh, Brooklyn yeah. before all that mess got started, and they, they ran him out of town. They He's, sure did. Should still should have been the head coach. Yeah. So he did a hell of a job in Charlotte, and now he gets another opportunity. Let, let him build this puppy and see where it goes. Yeah. You know, if you're a Masai Ujiri, see where this goes with Kenny Atkinson. I think he's the best candidate for that job. I, I think you need a guy that's a proven commodity, but still young enough to make an impact. He fits that franchise and would do great in Toronto. Yeah. Uh, with the style of players they got. If you get keep Van Vliet, the, your injuries and consistency away from the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, I think Kenny Atkinson would be the best candidate. Uh, but I love what they're doing, giving Becky and and JJ opportunities to interview because I think it really speaks to who Masai Ujiri is. Yeah. And Toronto as an international city is yeah. as well. So that was our breakdown on the coaching vacancies. So let's see if our predictions come true when it's time to sign these coaches. And uh, since we're a little limited on time, I have about 10 minutes left here. And I said that we're going to talk about uh, the women's basketball. We represent basketball culture. Basketball is not just a men's sport, but the women Absolutely. are involved as well. And this is a great topic of conversation. We were just talking and talking and talking before we even got on about the WNBA game. Uh, so I just want to take a few moments to talk about it. The, uh, the league did tip off its 27th year this uh, this year. Uh, yesterday, uh, May 2019, May 19th, 2023. Uh, of course, the biggest story uh, in the league 
is uh, Brittany Griner, her first year uh, since serving time over in Russia after being detained about to find some paraphernalia in her bag. And uh, Coach Flight, we were just thinking like, man, one, of course, the the salaries and the contracts that these women are getting. And secondly, uh, we believe Brittany Griner never would have gotten in trouble if she didn't have to go to Russia to still make money. It's like Brittany Griner was six, six, seven, six, eight, six, eight. six, nine. So like, what job is she going to get? She's, all, all she can do is play ball. Well, coach. You know, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like we're looking through the list of these contracts that they have. I like, man, I wonder who's the highest paid there. We're like, oh, you're Donna Trazzy. You still got at least half a half a million, 500,000. It's like, dog, she's making 228000 a year. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, 228000 That's That's still more than me. They're getting money, but I was like, okay, let's see their counterparts in the NBA. Diana Taurasi, the top paid player in the WNBA, 228000 We're going to the NBA. Steph Curry, $48 million per year. Not over a career, but every year he's making $48 million Compared to some consider the GOAT of WNBA just making 228000 So that's one part. And then two, it's having a nostalgic moment, man. Just how far. Now, shout out to David Stern. Rest in peace, man. Bringing together the WNBA. When it first jumped off, like it was, it was jumping, dog. It was great to watch their basketball in the summertime because the playoff, the NBA was just over. Then the WNBA kicked in. Houston Rockets, Cynthia Cooper. Cheryl Swoops, Tina Thompson, you know, Lisa Leslie, Shamika Holtzclaw, like all those uh, great players back in the in, uh, Rebecca Lobo, they're all kind of the catalyst of that league. And I'm so glad to see it still going now. But, you know, the biggest thing is just the pay. But you can't really do anything about that when it comes to the product because mm-hmm. it's not really televised like the NBA game is, you know, when it comes to people in attendance. Yeah, they just not they're just not creating the the money advancements that the NBA is, but we still want to represent basketball culture at the end of the day, man. So just give me your optics and scars of this this year and nostalgic moments, and of course the Brittany Griner situation. Yeah, man, I'll, I'll talk about uh, Brittany Griner first, man. I, I always been a fan of BG, loved her because she sticks to what she does best. Let's be a big man. Let's be a big girl. Yeah, I'm a block your shot. I'm a score in the lane. I'm gonna hit this. 15, 18 footer, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna just stay in that paint area and wreak havoc. So, yeah. I think from a player standpoint, I enjoy her play so so much because I think a lot of guys in the NBA can actually take a a, a a cut from her on the film and say, "Hey, if we stick to what we do best, we can play and make a lot of money one day." Yeah, um, excited to see BG back. Very unfortunate for what she endured overseas, mm-hmm. and, and, and you mentioned the NBA and the revenue that it brings in as far as the salary portion. Um, and I heard some debate about two things, about women going overseas and then changing the NBA, the WNBA season. Yeah. I think with the WNBA season, it's very difficult, uh, especially in the wintertime when there's a lot going on. So you kind of want to give it its own platform. I wish what they did was expand the games. Uh, from I wish there was, the NBA has to continue their help, which with this next contract, TV contract, They'll be more than able to, but support the league financially where they can get to 60 games. At least get to 60. Now you can stretch the season, maybe start it in April and play it all the way through October. Yeah. Get 60 games in that way. Um, I, th- I think there needs to be advancement with travel. Now you're hearing women are moving first class, which is about time. You know what I'm saying? That's crazy. Instead of going coach, you know yeah. what I'm saying? They're not coach flight. I go coach. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. you know, like, 
you're seeing advancement with travel. I think the biggest thing for the WNBA to tap into, you have teams in certain cities. Now it's time to invest teams in cities that you know you get a result back. We're in Columbus, Ohio. We would love a WNBA team here. Yeah. We did it with the Columbus Quest, the ABA League. Shout out Katie Smith. Listen, man, Don Staley was in that thing too. Yeah. Uh, the old ABA that was getting sold out arenas. It was small arenas I, across I think, the I country. Think Vincent Center. I remember that exactly, yep. man. Yep. Went to two or three games. Yeah, and I think with the Columbus Quest, I think Columbus would love a WABA team. Mm-hmm. Would adore it. Yeah, that would be one of your fantastic markets. Yeah, I think putting teams in places like Austin, Texas, would be phenomenal. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Putting teams in. Um, Shoot, Orlando, Florida, maybe one. If not, Jacksonville, Florida, where there's enough population uh, in terms of a bigger city, but you still can fulfill the revenue that you need. I think we're hitting big cities. I think we're, I'm here in Toronto and different places. Like, that's all nice and dandy, but you got to make sure that those big cities are too international that there's not enough focus on these ladies. Exactly. You want to put them in an area where they're going to focus on them. Here in Columbus, Ohio, it is the Ohio State University Absolutely. 365. Yep. You Absolutely. know what I'm saying? Sprinkled in with the other sports elsewhere. Mm. It is the Ohio State University. Yeah. If the if the Columbus crew or the Columbus Blue Jackets in soccer and hockey can make A, you're telling me that those ladies can't do the same thing uh, there and have a WNBA team here. And I'm Absolutely. speaking to other cities like Memphis or Nashville. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or or Jacksonville or yeah. Tampa yeah. where you can put teams and they would appreciate these players. I think there's it's hard to speak to the revenue. I'll just say this. I think there has to be continued growth. The TV product has to be better. I would love to see in this next deal the NBA support the WNBA in the deal where they can get games on TV. Don't tell me you can't sell it in the summertime. They sell the hottest and biggest movies in the summertime. So not everybody's outside. You can go indoors and watch a hell of a product. And I think the NBA has to do a better job at that in getting that product seen and televised. Because once the once the lights go on, once the lights cut on and the sunset is down, you can watch some WNBA basketball if it's televised. Those young ladies in LSU and Iowa did so good of a number. It was the highest number yeah. in, I don't know, 30-plus years. Yeah. Watching the women's game almost. Yeah. You can do it with the pros too. So I would love to see a more conservative effort from the big TV brands, the big TV contracts to support the WNBA. Absolutely, bro. And I believe uh, before we close the episode, man, I just talked about, I think it's, it's Angel Reese. Angel Reese, yep. At LSU, man, she made a great point. I wanted Barbie, Barbie. Yeah, when a uh, when a reporter asked her, you know, about you know going to the WNBA draft, I believe she's just a sophomore this year. Uh, she had transferred from Maryland from her freshman year. And she had said, like, you know, why would I go to the draft now when I'm making more money in college than I would in the WNBA? Thanks. So I thought that was a good point. Uh, I believe that the off-court brands and sponsorships they have in college can carry over to the WNBA. Yes, the contract may not be the best, but the off-the-court money can increase Absolutely. because of the opportunity of the NIL deals. So I am glad that these women are getting money in their pockets because of NIL deals. Now, I know this is off-brand and off-sport, but with the NIL deal, we're getting back NCAA college football. I don't know about you. Absolutely. I can't wait to play that game again. Oh, that's the only reason I'm buying a new console. 
The only reason why I'm buying a new console. I don't represent basketball culture, but it's been over 10 years since the last college, since the last college football game, man. So I just wanted to video game. For those that did not know, that listen to this podcast, man. If you don't got no console, go ahead and brush off that Best Buy card and go ahead and go ahead and get you one. Go on Amazon, whatever, man. It's gonna be a great time. But if you come back to the basketball aspect, there might be another March Madness game that comes out. Thank you, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? So it's gonna be a lovely time, man. I'm glad that these college athletes. I've been saying. I remember last thing. I had an eighth grade project, and I talked about how these college players should be getting paid. I was in eighth grade back in 2000. So the fact that it took another 20 years for it to happen, I'm glad that it did, man, because I'm tired of these universities making this money off of these players' backs, bro. I'm so glad you're getting that bread. So, all that being said, man, this is another great episode of the Hoop Kings podcast. I've been trying to touch on free agency the last two times, but I promise you the next episode we're going to lead off with free agency in 2023. And I really want to go all the way to 2026, to be honest, because there's a lot of big free agents that are coming up in the years. And we know that the revenue is going to get high, the CBA as well. So that's another episode. Like I said, I am the Middle Hoop King Art. This is your man, Coach Flight, man. Once again, we represent basketball culture. We love you. We thank you. Tap in. Apple, Spotify. It's your boys. Peace.